Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? When are you guys going to learn? The more you indict, the more we unite. Facts. It's Trump 2024. We don't care. You heard me? We already made our mind up. You already know when the hood got your back. Man, they deep in the hood. Gangsters. Talking about Trump 2024, you heard me? Woo woo! Wah! Gangsters! The hood got this man back. I'm just trying to tell you. You heard me? And we ain't we ain't stupid, man. American people, man. We ain't we ain't all them talking about lockdowns and back when the mask and all that. You know, they got a new virus coming and it's gonna be man, nobody don't care. Ain't fooling nobody no more with none of that. You know, new jack, man, nobody. Nobody being fooled no more. We all the way up. You heard me? It's Trump 2024. That's what it's going to be because we ain't having nothing else. From sea to shining sea. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. The Wendy Bell Radio Program. My my today is going by so quickly. This is one of my favorite things to do all week, and that is to talk to our national security expert, John Guandolo. He's a Marine. I don't know, John, are you ever an ex-Marine? Always a Marine once you're a Marine. Is that how it goes? That is how it goes. I Always so. a Marine. That's how I was going to say. A Marine. a Marine, a former federal agent, FBI agent. John, you worked undercover for a while as well. And I want to start with with what you've been seeing in this landscape is all of this stuff about Hunter Biden has been coming out. We're hearing all this stuff about the January 6th committee losing access. We don't know where all of those depositions are. We don't know where those text messages went. It stinks to high heaven, John. Uh, that's a <laughs> you just opened a huge door there. Uh, well, I would say this. Um what you talk about regularly, our government is designed to function. Uh, there are a couple key pieces to it, but, it, you know, the, the foundation of our law and government is the law of nature and the law of nature's God, legally defined at the time of the founding in the law our founders used, Blackstone's commentaries, as essentially natural law, which is the primary and Holy Scripture as the moral standard for the Constitutional Republic. Being trampled. and uh, Yeah, and, and when you look at, uh, you know, uh, and I just recently was listening to some things that uh, uh, different speeches from, from, you know, people like Victor David Hansen and, and people I consider thought leaders oh, yeah. um, about the fact that, you know, Adam's very repeated quote about, like, our our country is made for a moral people, a religious people, uh, and that is true. And so when you uh, bring people into power, into positions of authority, whether they're the, you know, the county supervisor or the President of the United States, who are not guided but by those moral principles, uh, as, as Jefferson said, that, you know, we all agree in the moral teachings of Jesus— uh, and their right to guide the nation in how we govern. That is why this and is so you, frustrating. 
Yeah, so when you throw that out, all these issues that we're talking about, you can go back to that route. If you don't have people in positions of authority, they might be quote-unquote nice people, but they're not moral people. And uh, it doesn't mean, I'm not, I want to be clear here, because there are some people who say, oh yeah, you know, you're expecting humans to be perfect. No. But when your goal is that moral right ground, and that's what you're working towards, then 95% of what we're seeing now wouldn't wouldn't be happening. Of course you'd have people that would be corrupt. Of course you'd have people embezzling money and all that. We're not, not to this degree, though. I mean, in this story that I that I that you and I have been talking about, this is amazing to me. Is this surprising to you as a former FBI agent to, to read the headline that the FBI has stolen millions of dollars from individuals who are not charged with any crimes? Um, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I, I want to talk about this. So for your audience's sake, uh, and this, again, uh, with, with everything else um, kind of going on today, this story highlights the, the point I'm making is that when you put, you know, there is a huge responsibility as a federal agent to use your authority, uh, again, morally um, and legally under the, under the guise of the Constitution, under the authority of the Constitution, the, the civil asset forfeiture law uh, and the laws at the federal level allow uh, agents, and this is true at state levels, because states have civil asset forfeiture laws as well in their state code, Um, you can seize a person's property without charging the person. And the legal concept behind it is you are essentially charging the property as being involved in a, in a crime. And it is a great tool when you're going after uh, long-term conspiracy cases and uh, drug dealers or RICO, you know, a racketeering uh, gang or mob-related stuff or yeah. long, huge business cases. The, the problem is it, it can and does get abused. And... That's the problem is when you've got good guys and I'm let's just say for a minute, people in law enforcement, uh, I know you're talking about the FBI and there's some real issues there, but the guys that are trying to uphold the law and the guys that are breaking the law, trying to skirt the law for their own benefit, uh, the forfeiture law basically says these are ill-gotten gains from illegal activity. So we're going to take them and we can take them without charging you right now, but we can do it during the investigation for a number of reasons. And I can tell you, having used those when you're doing big cases, it then creates a response on the other side, which might investigatively be good for you Mm -hmm. and help you. Uh, Because it is a real battle, because there are a lot of bad guys, and there's only so much court time. And uh, it's a battle to get things prosecuted well, and put people that are bad in jail. And I want to but say this. This is an FBI can be abused. This is an FBI raid on private safe deposit boxes, ladies and gentlemen. And it's triggered this big battle, legal legal battle, over what John's talking about, this civil asset forfeiture and the lengths to which federal authorities can use this practice. Apparently, the feds raided all sorts of stuff, Cartier bracelets, Rolex watches, stacks of cash, as they comb through these safe deposit boxes seized from a Beverly Hills business. Now, they're getting sued. The feds are getting sued. Does that surprise you? Uh, 
No, but there's you know there's two sides to this. The, sure. So for the, I, I think there there are some inherent legal issues with civil asset forfeiture, but it is a it's a good tool. Again, it's a lot of things are good tools when in the right hands. Um, but like in this case, this business um, was catering to thugs and criminals. And so a lot of these are uh, the ill-gotten gains of their criminal activity. But according to what I read in the lawsuit, uh, in, the, in the filings, is that there are a number of these safe deposit boxes being at this company that are not being used by criminals, right. and those were seized as well. This, and that is, that's the problematic piece of this. This is, is what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you that specifically, John. I wanted to say, who's keeping tabs on the FBI? Who's keeping tabs on, on the people who are not the good people that you say? On the people who are willing to push all the lines and move the goalposts and do things they shouldn't be doing? Because it feels like it's not working. Yeah. So... Well, there are a couple places where the FBI is kept in check. I mean, the, the Attorney General, the Inspector General uh, that oversees the Department of Justice, the Congress, those are bodies that are meant to regulate the FBI. But as we've seen, I think, you can just say in the last 10 years, how many hearings have we had and how many people have been fired and, and charged if they're criminals? People like Andrew McCabe and James Comey who should be in jail, Peter Strzok. Uh, who's been charged? Nobody. There's no accountability. So in a system with no accountability, you're, it, it invites problems. And this is, I think everybody listening to our discussion can understand that. If you've got people at work that are allowed to, your boss lets you come in two hours late every day. And the people coming in on time and working hard mm-hmm. are looking at that like, why isn't this guy? It just breeds a culture um, that's, un, I'm going to use the word unhealthy, that's unproductive, ineffective, unhealthy, and it destroys the integrity of that business organization, whatever it is. And it's no different in the FBI. There, there are plenty of FBI agents watching what's going on, asking, I mean, when we were in, we had guys charged with crime. We had an agent in the Washington field office who was charged in one of the drug cases, and it, they couldn't fire him because the system is so broken. I mean, it's unbelievable. We were like, how is this guy still coming into the office? And so it, it's part of it is the system, the federal government. And as I just shared with somebody the other day, we were talking about a, uh, just a, a social issue, like volunteering your time to go do something to help in the community. Like, do you really want your local, state, and federal government doing all these things that we've, you know, the government shouldn't be involved with feeding the homeless or helping people do stuff. That's our job. The government, look at what the government does and how well they do it. Right. Might be good intentions, but they just cannot get it. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you. the f- bureaucracy, it naturally tends towards brokenness, corruption. I'll give you four that, letters. That, USPS. That's all you need to know about anything that the federal government tries to manage as a business. It doesn't work. I got a very serious question. John is a former federal agent. I got to ask him something about, well, you'll have to hear it, and he's not expecting it. I've got it for you coming up next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. 
All right, welcome back to the Wendy Bell Radio Program. We're back with former federal agent, FBI agent John Guandolo, our national security expert, John. I have this question for you. Did you know when you were in the bureau that there were things that were going on that shouldn't have been? Or were you blindly involved in the work that you were doing? No, I was aware that there were things going on. It was a little different for me than for a lot of folks because I was uh, especially 2003 and forward going forward from there. Uh, I really started taking heat in 2004 uh, for what I was doing on the inside for uh, pointing out the uh, the jihadis that were uh, the cases that were being shut down um, on senior Muslim Brotherhood Hamas leaders in the United States and they were being shut down because the special agents in charge uh, or the assistant special agent in charge for counterterrorism division in that office were having lunch with these guys. And so that was the criteria for these cases being shut down. And when I made a stink about it and called the offices and told the agents to reopen the cases uh, and the word got back to the boss of that office that I was doing that, you can imagine the crap that ran downhill, uh, flowed downhill to me because calls were made from those offices to our office, and I was regularly getting called in um, to be told what other offices do with their cases is none of my business. Um, so I saw that. What I also saw, and, and big indicators that there was a lack of vision uh, in almost all the FBI leadership with regards to the, the big things going on like the Islamic movement, the communist movement. They they just, the average agent is trained to think in terms of the case you're working. So you could have 10 people in the office working on a case, but there's nobody in the office looking at how are all these cases related. And even when one business or individuals in one case tied to another, they would, most agents, most good agents, would talk to each other about it, but prosecutorially, a prosecutor doesn't want some massive case, and agents don't want a massive case. We used to have a saying, big cases, big problems, little cases, little problems, no cases, no problems. So uh, you didn't get rewarded for doing big cases, and you didn't get the support you need most of the time. It's not true all the time, but it's true a lot of the time. And so people just kind of treat it, begin treating it as a job instead of right. you have a duty to protect and defend. Um, now, and I think there's a big difference there. That was 20 years ago, John. 20 years ago, you identified within the FBI that the things that you were awakened to post 9-11, the jihadi threat, the communist threat, how these things work together, how they've infiltrated our communities down to our local level, how they're on our college campuses. Is that what started you in this realm of identifying the threat and helping people in, in in neighborhoods do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, basically I saw a problem and I, I identified it and tried to help fix it. And uh, every step of the way, the deeper I got into it, the more resistance I took from within. And, um, and I, 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 there are a lot of reasons. It's not everyone in the Bureau wasn't bad or corrupt. Or, sure. But a lot of it is 
number one, what I was describing was a, it, the, the solution was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But my point to the leadership then, and many of them even admitted it, was that it, it meant we had to change gears and do things very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I had the boss of the Washington field office, who was not a, you know, not a good, never was a, had a history of being a good investigator, uh, wasn't really a good agent, but he was in charge. Um, I think he's now running the NFL security program. So good for him. But, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, uh, when I explained to him, this is what's going on. He's like, well, if they're breaking the law, I'll charge them. Why are you in my office? I'm like, sir, it's not like that. It's like if we have Russian and Pakistani and Saudi Arabian intelligence penetrating our office, very difficult to say, hey, he stole a pencil, we're going to lock him up. It's a very different kind of thing. But to get the leadership to get off their asses and do something, it was, it's a combination of not a lot of investigative experience with some, some of the leadership, uh, although some of them had quite a bit. Uh, and laziness, yes. and it's, you know, too too big to solve. Yes. And you put all that together, and it's destructive. And now, yes, here we are. The enemy has grown, and the FBI, as an organization, uh, has not only. And again, what I've demonstrated in my work, especially in the last five years, the FBI has not only not dealt with the communist movement, the Islamic movement. They're aiding and abetting it. You got the guy who's the current deputy director of the FBI, Paul Abate, who literally has advanced Al Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah in the United States by uh, hugging and and promoting these people. He calls his friends, and how wonderful their organizations are. When we, through evidence, we can demonstrate their leaders have been Al Qaeda, Hamas leaders for decades. They were founded by Hamas. The Darl Hidra Islamic Center in D.C. This, is a great example. And this, John, I'm sorry to cut you off because we run short on time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I like having him here. Look, you're not the only one who sees it. You're not the only one fighting back against it. And sometimes you get shut out of the fight, but you come in a back way because you love America, as John does. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, a hundred million reasons why University of Pennsylvania might want to fire Liz McGill. Next. So if you're new to the show, we play that when uh, we feel a little fussy, need to calm things down a bit. This is a good way to wrap up, I think. The final half hour of the Wendy Bell Radio program this week. People are paying attention. Not everybody is asleep. It's not just you. It wasn't just John Guandolo at the FBI in the early 2000s seeing something, saying something. And then moving to make a difference. People are all over the place. One of the things that I think has been most challenging, though, and I think, I don't know if embarrassing is the word. It's hurtful. The people who've come out against the Jews. It's hurtful. It's spiteful. It's vile. It's dangerous. It's angry. It's irrational. It's indefensible. It's everything we say as a country we are against. Until all of a sudden it rears its ugly head and we realize that the anti-Semitism is okay. 
racism, not so much. Anti-Semitism, well, and it's disgusting. The three college university presidents from MIT, University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard the other day refusing to say what needed to be said. Yes, that violates our code of everything. When Elise Stefanik said, does anti-Semitism, does the call for genocide and extinguish people to eradicate them from the face of the earth? Is, is that a hard stop for you in your university? Is that a viol- Is that harassment? Is that a violation of your code of conduct? Well, yeah, you know, it kind of depends. There's shades of gray. Only if it leads to no. That is a firm, unequivocal no. Or yes, rather. Yes, of course. It violates everything. Well, how about $100 million now on the line? Unless the University of Pennsylvania 86's its limp president, Elizabeth McGill. Here's your story. Wall Street CEO tells Penn president, resign or I will pull $100 million. The University of Pennsylvania could lose a $100 million gift if its president, Elizabeth McGill, does not step down. Article on Business Insider, but it's everywhere. Ross Stevens, the founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Asset Management, detailed his decision to potentially pull the gift in a letter to his staff. He said that given the structure of his deal with the elite university, he has the ability to pull the funding. So this is something that he established a few years ago. I'm going to give you $100 million. We have, it, we have that somewhere here in our community. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Carnegie Mellon University. The Tapper, is it Tapper? Tepper, Tepper. Tepper School of Business, the Tepper, Tepper, Tepper. They give gobs of money. Tepper all over the place at Carnegie Mellon University. I would imagine it's the same story here with Ross Stevens. $100 million. That's a heck of a lot of bank. The threat comes after McGill's testimony to Congress earlier this week in which she evaded questions on anti-Semitism and failed to answer if calling for a Jewish genocide was against the school's code of conduct. Ah, I don't know. Only if it results in somebody getting hurt. Say what? So it's only offensive if, if a Jew is actually murdered? Her answer, along with similar answers from the presidents of Harvard and MIT, were met with intense criticism. Criticism. How about being flabbergasted? Billionaire Bill Ackman called for the three presidents to, quote, resign in disgrace. McGill later released a video, groveling video. We played it for you yesterday. After an online uproar called the university's policies on free speech and harassment into question. We have sons and daughters, Jewish sons and daughters on college campuses across America right now who are not safe to leave their frigging dorm rooms. What are you guys doing, university presidents? Besides nothing, sort of like the FBI, knowing that it's got a clean house. Eh, it's kind of a big job. Like, eh, how dirty do we want to get? How about you just do the right thing? Because North is still North. So the full letter of Ross Stevens to his staff, blah, blah, blah. 
The bottom line, absent a change in leadership and values at Penn in the very near future. How about yesterday? You didn't resign yesterday. Well, it sucks for you. Here's my hundred million taking a walk with me. Absent a change in leadership and values at Penn in the very near future, I plan to rescind Penn's Stone Ridge shares to prevent any further reputational and other damage to Stone Ridge as a result of a relationship with Penn. What? And Liz McGill. I don't want my money. I don't want my, my reputation, the name of my baby that I made. After graduating underground for, uh, undergrad from your school, I don't want to be associated at all with you. You are a plague, a scourge. He got out of the pool. Ross Stevens decided to do that. He got out of the pool. I'm not going to go along and do this anymore. Where are all the girls? In sports, when a dude... Who's six feet tall, hairy, and 240 shows up to play against them. You get out of the pool. This is the same situation with the stupid dog commander. Joe and Jill Biden's dog that's bitten, what, 20 people? And they've tried to move the shifts of the, of the White House staffers around, Right? So that they don't have interaction with the dog. Here's a newsflash idea. I know it's cutting edge, right? I I call myself a common sense conservative woman. Get rid of the dog. Put the dog down. If your dog bit one person, your dog would be down. But this is how they handle things. Well, you know, let's go around the back door. We're going to inconvenience everybody else because of what we want, right? So that's what we're going to do. Good for you, Ross Stevens. I don't know why you're equivocating right now if you don't do this and i'm going to do that i think every single one of these donors these billionaires the lion's share by the way are jews very wealthy and successful jews take your money go somewhere else because their true colors are clear and we see them Every day now. You guys ready for it? I'm ready for it. I need a smile. Let's go. One of the themes we have commonly on this show is this idea that all it takes is one. It took that one guy in New Zealand who was in charge of the COVID data to blow the whistle on some results. There's something going on in certain batches of this Pfizer vaccine that's killing people. They're dying at a crazy rate. He blew the whistle. One guy, one woman, even a child can start something. Well, what if you're one person who's had all four limbs amputated? Would you reach for the skies? Because my boyfriend, Steve Hartman, found somebody. Who did enjoy although born without hands or feet 25 year old zach anglin says the only limbs he ever longed for were wings always wanted to be a pilot unfortunately no quad amputee had ever become a commercial pilot 
obviously nothing worth having comes easy. From the time he was born, he was a disciplined and determined child. Adoptive parents Harold and Patty say there was no talking him out of it. So when Zach turned 18, he applied to a flight school that said no. There's nothing we can really do for you or sorry. The second one said the same. Like, here we go again. As did the third. The same response. And so it went more than a dozen times over. You're not hearing what they're saying. I'm not. Selective hearing. <laughs> My wife will tell you I'm a little bit hard-headed. <laughs> Which is why this hard-headed husband and soft-hearted father <laughs> applied to one more school. The Spartan College of Aeronautics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They said yes, although Zach's struggle was just getting started. He still needed approval from the Federal Aviation Administration to take the lessons. But the FAA repeatedly, and in no uncertain terms, denied his request. And after the fifth rejection letter, Zach finally gave up. I was like, this is not for me. I, this is impossible to do. And so my mom was over my shoulder at this point, right? And then she's like, you're not done yet. I said, you can never succeed until you've learned to fail. And Patty says her son obviously hadn't failed enough. So Zach kept at it until finally they cleared him for one takeoff. And when Zach was given the opportunity to show his potential, it became clear as blue sky that you don't need hands to have wings. Zach graduated from flight school a few years ago and now teaches the same course so many told him he couldn't even take. Why do people need to hear this? Because my story isn't just for amputees. We all go through trials and tribulations. The word impossible is an illusion behind the word possible. And failure, just the turbulence on your journey. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Tulsa. Absolutely necessary in every way was that necessary. Do not go anywhere because I can't promise you they're good because they're not. They're bad jokes. They're supposed to be stupid. And we've got lots of them for you next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. All right, my friends, this is the uh, this is the mindless part of the week. And it's only like five minutes. But it is so very necessary that we have reasons to laugh about stupid stuff because we don't do it enough. And so that is why we have. Ladies and gentlemen, I just flew in from New York and boy, my arms tired. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. (laughs) Anywho, welcome to the comedy club. Won't you give it up to Wendy and Brock for Bad Joke Friday. All right, thank you all for your submissions. We appreciate your family's terrible jokes. This from Dr. Richard Rafferty, as always. A few days before Christmas, an old father who lives in New York calls his son who lives in California. He tells him, I'm sorry to ruin your day, son, but your mother and I are getting a divorce. 45 years of misery is enough. What are you talking about, Dad? We can no longer stand the sight of one another. We're sick of each other, and we're sick of talking about it. So call your sister in Chicago and tell her. 
The son hangs up the phone, frantically calls his sister, who explodes. They, they are not getting a divorce. I'll take care of this. She hangs up the phone, calls back to New York, and yells at her father, Dad, you guys are not getting a divorce. I'm going to call my brother back, and we're going to be there both, both of us, by Christmas Eve. Don't you do anything <laughs> until we get there. Do you hear me? And she hangs up the phone. Father hangs up the phone, turns to his wife, smiles, and says, I got good news. Kids are going to be here for Christmas, and they're paying their way. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that one coming. That's awesome. Met the man of my... I don't like this one. Uh -uh. Met the man of my dreams at the grocery store. I was reaching on my tiptoes, trying to reach a package of toilet paper. And And he appeared and got in down for me. Oh. He truly is my Prince Charmin. Charmin. <laughs> oh, I butchered that. You sure did. Do they allow loud laughing in Hawaii or just a low ha? Oh, gosh. I lost my mood ring. I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> I had one of those. They're so much fun. What did the pie say to his wife? I will never desert you. I have a friend that writes music about sewing machines. He's a singer-songwriter, or so it seems. <laughs> I started investing in stocks, beef, chicken, vegetable. One day, I hope to be a bullionaire. <laughs> that that's probably a good investment that was nowadays. Cute. What's the best Christmas present you can give? Hmm. A broken drum. You can't beat it. That's true. I agree. I, a cat has nine lives. Do you know what has more lives? A frog, because he croaks every day. What happened to the angry snowman? Angry snowman. He had a meltdown. (sighs) Two years ago, this is the man. Two years ago, my brother ran for Congress. Friend says, well, what does he do now? Man says nothing. Got elected. Well, it's true. That's not really a joke, unfortunately. A man walks into a bar. The bartender asks, why the long face? The man says, I just found out my wife is sleeping with another man and I'm going to... Drink myself to death. The bartender looks shocked and says, I'm sorry, I can't help you kill yourself. The man asks, what would you do in my situation? Bartender puffs up and says, well, I wouldn't sit around feeling sorry for myself. If I knew the man was sleeping with my wife, I'd kill him. Great idea. The man says as he jumps up and runs out of the bar. A couple hours later, goes by and the man returns. Bartender nervously asks, well, did you kill the guy? Man smiles and says, Nope, I slept with your wife. Drink, please. Oh, that's outstanding. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Why can't you let a politician on a plane? This is serious. Because they'll keep trying to destroy the other wing. Oh, gosh. True. What's the difference between the ordinary alphabet and the Christmas alphabet? Huh. The Christmas alphabet has no L. No oh, L. Oh, gosh. You know what? I would have gotten there if you hadn't said that. That's, oh, boy. All right, this one's a little long, but it looks like it's going to be cute if I can do it. Remember, we don't proofread these. <laughs> there, that's part of it. There are four people on an airplane that's about to crash. Taylor Swift, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and a 10-year-old boy. There are only three parachutes. Taylor Swift says, look, I'm the greatest country music singer and songwriter in history. I should get the first parachute. Uh, with that, she grabs the first parachute and jumps out of the plane. Joe Biden speaks next. I'm the oh smartest. Pre- I'm the smartest president in American history. I have a 180 IQ. I've taught in colleges all across the land, and I've worked every job there is to have. I'm going to take the next parachute. Grabs That's a bag, the joke, right? Grabs a, ja- a bag, jumps out of the plane. 
Donald Trump looks at the boy and said, this might be a mean Trump joke, looks at the boy and says, listen, I've had a great life. I've had a lot of experiences. I made a lot of money. I've made the greatest deals in history. The last parachute is yours. Make something of yourself. Little boy says, it's okay, Mr. Trump. We can both have a parachute. The smartest president in American history just jumped out of the airplane with my book bag. Oh, oh, that was it was, gave us that. That was brilliant. It was long, but so worth Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Hey, I found a great place online to order sausage. Oh. I'll send you the link. <sighs> Why are politicians like sperm? One in a million turn out to be an actual human being. <laughs> True. Don't throw false teeth at your vehicle. You might denture it. A bl- okay, a blonde driving a car becomes lost in a snowstorm. She didn't panic, however, because she remembered that her dad had once told her, if you ever get stuck in a snowstorm, just wait for a snowplow to come by and follow it. Sure enough, pretty soon a snowplow came by and she started to follow it. She followed the plow for about 45 minutes. Finally, the driver of the truck got out and asked her what she was doing, she explained. Her dad had told her that if she ever got stuck in a snowstorm to follow a plow driver, nodded and said, well, I'm done with the Walmart parking lot. You want to follow me over to Best Buy now? <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? Hmm. A stick. <laughs> that was bad. Hey Siri, why don't my why don't my relationships work out? This is Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Santa got stuck in the chimney. Now he's claws terphobic. That was bad. You have one more to go? Uh I'm if, done. Why was the snowman asked to leave the grocery store? Why? He was caught picking his nose. That's wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Follow us. Follow us, please. Get the app, Wendy Bell Radio. Download it. Follow. Share. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Peace.